<laughs> White water! <laughs> you guys don't play around. Man, I, it was almost four months ago to the date that I stood here for the very first time, and I was, I was a guest preacher, and I told you guys, a lot of you were here when we were in our high-stakes series, and a lot of you guys were here. When I was here, I said it was kind of like being on a blind date, a first date with a pastor, right? And I said, I, you know, I don't know how it's going to go. I didn't know how it went. I wasn't sure if there was going to be a second date. Y'all don't play around. Okay, we done got married. <laughs> Y'all liked it, put a ring on it. All right. <laughs> I can't express to you adequately in words how overwhelmed I am to be right here in this moment. You need to know up front, I'm an emotional mess. Like, I'm an emotional mess. I can't tell you the number of times I have cried over the last several weeks. Like, all happy tears, like the kind of tears, like I'm crying, but I don't know why I'm crying, kind of like tears, like just overwhelmed. That moment when you feel like you're walking into something that God's been preparing you for your whole life. And I promise to you, I will get to Scripture. I promise to you that I will, we will jump into the Bible. And for those of you that are like, man, come on, I'm not really the, the emotional, you know, non-churchy people, I'll get it, I get it. Um, like, we'll get there, I promise. Chapter and verse is coming. We'll be in the book of Ruth. You can flip there now and check out. Here's why I just want to share my heart for a second, why this matters, why I'm willing to be <laughs> emotional with you. When I say it is only by the grace of God that I am standing here today, it is not cliche. It is not something cute you put on a poster and you slap on a wall. It is only by the grace of God that I am alive and that I am standing here today that he would look at me with all of my junk and say to me, I'm not done with you yet. And here's why this is important. My mom and dad are here today, and they can back me up on this. I'm not special. They know all about me. There's nothing special about me. I am just a guy who had his life radically transformed by Jesus. A guy who struggles just like everybody else. A guy who um, has all sorts of faults, including being a Cleveland Browns fan. Sorry, not sorry. We're going to have to reconcile this, people, okay? Some of you are thinking, like, wow, he's wearing, like, an orange and black and white shirt, really going all bangles out. No, it's actually blue, okay? So we're not there yet. We're going to have to reconcile our football differences. Our bo both our teams suck, let's be clear, okay? Until it actually becomes a competition, then we can have an argument. I'm just a guy like, like a lot of us that just wants their life to have impact, to have purpose. My eyes are on Jesus. I'm sold out. I am sold out to building his kingdom, to reaching as many lost people as God will allow. I'm going to fail along the way. 
I promise to fail forward. I promise that I'm going to let some of you down. It won't always be pretty, but with every last breath in me for as long as God gives me on this planet, I will speak life and offer redemption and bring hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, for that one person who understands that I like it loud. Y'all Thursday night crowd, we're not going to do this little golf clap stuff, okay? Y'all can clap. I know you guys got energy. Y'all are sitting up here and swinging. I know y'all can bring it, okay? So you can bring it all day long. Listen, um, if he's willing to use me with all of my junk, I promise you he's going to use you. I promise you. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you've gone through. He is going to use you. Turn to the person next to you. Give him a shove and say, God's not done with you. (laughs) He's not done with you. Here we come, churchy people. We're going to the book of Ruth. We are in week two of the Hope Campaign. This is not a building campaign. It's not a financial campaign. We're not trying to raise money during this campaign. We are raising hope over the next 40 days. We live in a world right now that I believe more than anything we need to reclaim our hope, our dreams, our belief that tomorrow will be better than today. The kind of hope that is not found in how much money you have saved in your retirement account, a kind of hope that's not found in a job title, kind of hope that's not found in a college of your dreams, it's not found in Republicans, it's not found in Democrats, it's not found in success, it's not found in your special someone. It's the kind of hope that I'm talking about is the only hope that will bring about real life transformation, and that's found in Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that because I'm the guy with the microphone and I'm paid and I'm the preacher guy. I'm not saying it because that and if you don't know my story you can check it out they have it online you can see our testimony and all that stuff I'm saying it because I tried everything that this world has to offer everyone everything every place did I say everything yes Uh, David said it this way and it was so corny the way he said it last week that I have to say it again he said hope is the best dope right and I know because I tried them all (laughs) Some of y'all are like, oh, wow, we're in for a ride. Yeah, that's who you got, baby, right? Thank you, Jesus, for redemption. Thank you, Jesus, for restoration. Thank you, Jesus, for second chances. Thank you, Jesus, for not giving up on mess-ups like me. Let's go to the Bible. (laughs) We need some Jesus right now. There's a book in the Bible I want us to look at, the book of Ruth, in my remaining five minutes. Because I was told I only have 25 minutes to share with you. And I'm like, 25 minutes? I need that just for my intro. But all right. So real quick, we're going to go to the book of Ruth. If you brought your Bibles, go to your Bibles. If you have your phones, go to your Bible app. It's going to be up here on the screen if you want to follow along as well. Ruth, Old Testament. It's after Judges, before 1 Samuel. If you find Psalms, go left. Some people, you know, you got you to gotta help. It's a road map, right? So here we are. Listen, I'm not going to read through all four chapters. I'd love to, you know, line by line, verse by verse, but I got 25 minutes. So please, this weekend, read through the book of Ruth. It will bless your socks off. Our story today centers around three people, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. 
As we're talking today, I want you to pause throughout and see which one of these three people do you somehow identify with, because I promise you, you will fall into one of these three people's lives. Jump in. Ruth 1, verse 1. Here we go. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephratites. Man, oh man. From Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, not Oprah, and the other named a woman Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. All right. That's fun. (laughs) Not sad at all. Right away, we're introduced to two of our central characters, Naomi and Ruth. There's a famine in the land in Bethlehem. People are starving. There's no food. And so this man, Elimelech, he moves his wife and two sons to the country of Moab in the hopes of finding a better life. What you may not just see from looking at the surface of this story is how messed up that move is. They are Israelites. The Israelites and Moabites despised each other, hated each other. Conditions were horrible, had to be horrible for this family to up and leave Bethlehem and go to this land where they couldn't stand each other. As I'm starting to get this, to know the Cincinnati area, it'd be like, you know, you guys like uprooting and moving over to the east side to find a better life, right? And some of y'all are like, never, right? But that's what's happening. Things are desperate right now for them. And so they move over to the east side, I mean Moab, and they go, and shortly thereafter, Elimelech dies, leaving his wife to care for their two sons. The sons do get married, but they marry Moabite women. Again, remember the tension between these two nations, and now they're married into it. And then a short time after that, those sons die. And in a matter of 10 short years, you have Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, widows, lost their sons and husbands. Things are not good for Naomi, right? Like, not good. This is one of those moments where you really wouldn't blame her if she just kind of packed it up and said, you know what, God, I'm done. I'm done. This is too much. And I'd be like, girl, I get it. I get it. This, is, this isn't like a horrible week, how we say a horrible week, you know, like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, they canceled my Netflix series, you know, like, oh, my gosh, first world problems, right? This is the serious stuff, the type of thing where people decide that life isn't worth living anymore, and they check out for good. But Naomi does something incredible. Our text says that Naomi hears that God has blessed the land of Bethlehem again and and good crops are being produced again. And so she decides she's going to head back to Bethlehem. And now all three of these ladies who are now widows, which in any time period is horrible. But at this period in history, being a widow was like almost a one-way ticket to poverty and destitution. Now, Naomi, being this incredible woman of character, she tells her daughter-in-laws, stay here in Moab. Don't 
come to Bethlehem with me. Not because she didn't love them, but because she loved them. She tells them to stay. She knows that if, if they stay in Moab, at least they will have opportunities to meet new husbands, to start a new life. But in Bethlehem, those chances are almost impossible because they are Moabite women. And after some back and forth between the three of them, Orpah says, I'm sweet, and says, I'm saying. But Ruth, on the other hand, she does something different. She's compelled to stay. She knows her old life. She knows what, what that old life brought. She senses that there's something better, something more. She sees that all of that in Naomi. She saw this, this faithfulness in Naomi that even after her husband and sons died, Naomi didn't lose faith in her God. Most people check out at that point. Most people crumble. Most people don't come back from that type of tragedy, but Naomi perseveres. And it's because of that perseverance that Ruth sees it compels her to wonder, how are you still standing? Where does that type of hope come from? And you, and you see it in her response. This is Ruth 1 verse 16. She says this, she says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That scripture is filled with such passion and love, right? And some of you may have heard this verse before, like, like at a wedding or something, right? And listen, this is not a wedding scripture, okay? I'm sorry if this was at your wedding. I'm sure it was beautiful. But this is not, this is not for a wedding. It's so much deeper and richer. It's a different kind of love. And you hear that in Ruth's voice, this, this depth of conviction. She's clinging to Ruth, saying, I'm not leaving you. She's clinging to, to the hope of a better future found in God. So let me ask you, what are you clinging to? Because we're all clinging to something. Some of us are just better at admitting it. What are you clinging to? Because here's the deal. What you cling to, you create. You cling to the past, you will create the past. A cyclical over and over. Same thing. Same thing. You cling to hope. And you will create a life where hope is at the foundation of everything you do. Some of you are clinging to people and things that are never going to deliver what you're desperately longing for. Cling to despair, you'll get despair. Cling to hope, you get hope. Cling to Jesus, your life will overflow with joy and love and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, and it's not going to be perfect. I promise you, if anybody ever tells you, oh, follow Jesus, everything will be perfect, that's a lie straight from hell. Do not drink that Kool-Aid, okay? Uh-uh. It is going to be harder before it's easier. I promise you that. But see, here's what happens. When we place our hope in Jesus, we are placing our hope in the one place that nothing in this world can touch. Nothing, not even death. When we place our hope in Jesus, we are placing our hope at the foundation of our lives. And when the storms come, and they do, and they will, but when they come, right? 
I think, you know, somebody like Jesus said, like, when the storms come and the rain comes in torrents and it beats against that house and it's beating against your life, you will not fall, you will not crumble because your foundation is set on Jesus Christ. What do you cling to? What you cling to, you create. And so two of our heroes, Naomi and Ruth, they, fi they finally decide we're going back to Bethlehem. And they arrive. Sure enough, the famine is over. It's harvest season. Ruth decides that it's in order for them to, to you know, to survive. <laughs> they have to have food. She has to go into the fields to work, to follow along the other harvesters and pick up what is left behind. This, this practice is a Jewish custom. It's a part of the gleaning process, gleaning in the fields. Moses wrote about it in Deuteronomy 24. He said this. He says, when you are harvesting your crops for, and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. And so Ruth goes to work in the fields. You know there's so much right there, but I don't have time to get into all that. Oh, man, that, that right there, that's gold just in itself. But moving on. So... Ruth goes to work in the fields, and she just so happens, God doesn't do just so happen, it just so happens that that is where she meets our third hero in the story, Boaz. Ruth and Boaz, they end up meeting when Boaz, you know, notices her working in her, his field, and, and Boaz has heard about Ruth and Naomi, their story, what they've been through. He goes above and beyond to take care of her and her needs. We see it here in Ruth 2, verse 8. It says, Boaz went over and said to her, Hey, girl, I see you working in my field. Yeah, girl. My Bible's different than y'all's, I guess. <laughs> I guess, oh, it's a translation thing. Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Nah, you stay right here, right? Stay right behind these young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and follow them. I've warned the young men, young men so much here. I warn the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. Verse 10 says, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? Remember, Moabite woman, foreigner, right? She didn't grow up in the Israel faith. She didn't grow up, you know, loving the one and only God. And Boaz says, yes, I know all this, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you have left your father and mother of your land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And from this point on, the redemption story of Naomi and Ruth, it just starts to rapidly unfold. And Boaz goes out of his way to bless their socks off and just make sure they're provided for. And we find out that Boaz is actually a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, which means according to Jewish custom, that Boaz actually has the ability to redeem not only Ruth and Naomi's family, but their entire family lineage. And this phrase used here in the text is kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew for this word is goel. It means to restore or redeem to an original state. This is like a, a really complex phrase here and, and like the most simplistic way to break it down because I'm a simple guy, ask my mom and dad. To like simply say it, 
if you're a kinsman redeemer, it means that, that you are a relative to the deceased, you have the necessary resources to pay off any land debt that is still owed and then pay off that said debt because the reality is that when Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem, they had a sizable debt that they were leaving behind and it needed to be paid off. And then as a kinsman redeemer, you have the opportunity, not the obligation, but the opportunity to take the widow as your bride. And what we find out is that Boaz... He's all about it, right? He's like, I got you. I'll take care of all this. He does everything necessary to restore and redeem Ruth and Naomi's family. Ruth and Boaz, they fall in love, they get married, they have a baby, and they live happily ever after. No, really, they do. (laughs) It's actually one of those good stories in the Bible. They really do. Right? And and I want you to show show you something, just something awesome that happens right here in this text. But you kind of have to, like, watch all the way to the end of the movie to get it, right? Watch this. So Ruth belongs to a race that is despised by Israel, right? She was a widow, which meant she was, you know, one of the most marginalized people groups at the time. Widows are taken advantage of. They're ignored. They're they're impoverished. You know, to any God-fearing Jew, Ruth was disgraced and disqualified from the blessing of God. But God... Everybody say, but God. But God. Aren't you thankful for but God? In the moments in your life where you didn't deserve something, you really should have got something you didn't deserve, but but God. That you, you, you didn't know how you were going to pay that bill, but then but God. That you got a diagnosis that says you're done, you're out, but God. You ever have a but God moment? Does anybody except for me have a but God moment? Praise God for the but God because I'm alive. He didn't have to get you here safely, but he did. But God, he saved you from that drunk driver that you don't even know about, but God. Thank God for but God. Y'all ain't going to handle this. But God, doing what God does, he blesses Ruth abundantly despite all that, despite her family tree. But not only does he bless her in her lifetime, but for generations to come because of her faithfulness. A Moabite woman, a foreigner, marginalized female, no status or standing. And then you got Boaz. Sure, he's sweet now, but you know who he comes from? He's a descendant of Rahab. Do you know who Rahab is? David talked about her last week. A prostitute. Oh, scandalous in the Bible. Yeah, he's a descendant of Rahab. Boaz, Ruth, messy, all sorts of messy, and out of that mess, man, isn't it just like God to do great things in a messy situation? <sighs> From the offspring of Ruth and Boaz comes King David. From the offspring of King David comes... Thank you for the one person who said Jesus! Somebody read their Bible! Jesus! Out of the mess! comes the greatest message the world has ever known. And some of you are walking through a mess right now, real messy stuff, messy stuff. Just hold on, hold on, because your mess is just the beginning of your message. Hold on, he's not done with you yet. Listen, the blessings, the redemption of Ruth that comes from God working through Boaz is directly related to Ruth's willingness to step out in faith. 
She had to leave her old life. She had to make a choice of which way was she going to go. She had to take action, this new life with Naomi, worshiping a God of Israel. And if you're in a season of life where you are longing for a way out, a way through, you're praying for hope, you're praying for redemption, I want to invite you today to take a step out in faith. Maybe that means at the end of the service, we invite you up to pray if you need prayer. Maybe that means today you actually do it and you say, man, I need prayer. And you take that step out in faith. Maybe a step out in faith for you means like you make, actually make the decision to put Jesus at the center of your life as Lord and Savior. That you've never really made that step. Maybe for you, some of you, taking that step out in faith means that you, you're baptized, some of you have been watching these baptisms. You're like, yeah, that's nice. You, know, and you got this tug in your heart like, yeah, I feel like I should do that. I've never really done that. I never made that decision. As a, maybe I should do that. Right? Right? Maybe your step out in faith right now is to be baptized. We'll do that tonight, y'all. Tonight. Ain't putting it off. Look, there's water. What's stopping you from being baptized? Your pride. What's God asking you to do? I don't know. That's between you and God. But if baptism's it, tonight it's right there. I'll go in with you just like this. I didn't bring extra clothes. That's what it's for. Here's the deal. Ruth wasn't the only person who needed a Kingsman Redeemer. Every single one of us in this room need a Redeemer. Some of us just haven't admitted it yet. Every single one of us. Jesus is that Redeemer. Don't put off a decision today that will affect your entire eternity. Redemption and hope are yours for the taking. Here's the deal. We can't just sit on our hands and wait for God to do something. We can't. Our faith requires action. We have to step out in faith, and your step out will lead to your step through. I asked you at the beginning, to, who do I recognize? Who do I relate to in this story? Which one of these characters are you like Ruth and need a redemption? Or are you in a season of your life where you're in this place where God has positioned you to help redeem others? A Boaz, to care for those who, who, who can't care for themselves, to, to care for those on the margins. Look, we need godly men, women, and students to step up and lead with character. And we can do that in big ways and small ways. All right, a, a small way that, here's one that you, I'm just gonna lob it to you and you can hit it out of the park. Here's an easy way to care for those on the margins. We have a backpack club here, all right? And, and, and we help and we stuff backpacks. And one of the things we need right now are breakfast bars, okay? Why do you need breakfast bars, John? Because there's kids at schools that we're connected to and our partnerships, like with Three Rivers, where there's kids that they need food. They go home on the weekends and food is scarce. And so one of the ways we, we step up and say, no, that's not okay. And so right now, we need to bless them abundantly with breakfast bars. I want to get an email that says, we can't take any more breakfast, breakfast bars. Look, right? Every single one of us can go out and get breakfast bars. I need each of you to grab 10 boxes off the shelves. I need Kroger to be like, keep those whitewater people away. <laughs> we can't stock them fast enough. Bring them in over the next few weeks. Bring in your breakfast bars. That's simple, right? That's a simple thing that all of us can, can step into the game, but sometimes it's bigger things. To care for those on the margins, sometimes it's adoption. Sometimes it's fostering. Sometimes it's, it's going on, you know, mission trips, short-term mission trips. Sometimes it's caring for people locally, but also globally. 
What can we do to care for those in need? Maybe it's getting involved with Solve 7. Look, the whole point of our Solve 7 initiative is to care for the underprivileged and underrepresented, for the marginalized. That's why it's there. Maybe it's just like me getting older, my season of life, or maybe it's me just understanding the heart of God more. But we need men and women to step up to mentor and care for our kids, the students in our spheres of influence. These dudes right here, I I love these dudes down here. They came in, they've been playing. I, I've been at churches that, that the moment these kids came in, and they, they, earlier you should have saw it, they were putting on a concert for us. I've been in churches where they would have been like, get off the stage, what are you doing? You're gonna break that stuff. And David and I just sat right there and we said, play. Play. We need to take care of the next generation of world changers. That's not my job, that's our job. It's our job to step up and say, you are the future. How do I help you? How do I help you grow into the man and the woman that God created you to be? Maybe, maybe you're like Naomi. Maybe you've been through some storms in your life and, and your faith has just deepened you and rooted you as a, as a godly man or woman of faith because of the storms you've gone through. And it's time for you to step out to mentor others. To step up and say, hey, I know what you're walking through. Let me walk with you. Let me be a stride partner. Let me be a mentor with you. When people asked me, like, what I was preaching about this weekend, and I said, you know, the book of Ruth, and they were like, everyone. We're like, oh, and Boaz? Why is that? Huh? Well, why is that? I know there's lots of marriage seminars and books about find yourself a Boaz, right? Uh Uh-huh. Why is that? You know, like, like, huh? Some of y'all be like, ooh, I bet that Boaz was like Dwayne Johnson come up in here like, you know, up in the Jumanji looking all fine. (laughs) First of all, stop that. (laughs) Making me feel all insecure about how I look. Dwayne the Rock. Second, look, all my single friends. While you are waiting on God to bring you a Boaz, get off tinder and stop swiping left and right it got real quiet you know when it gets quiet the preaching getting good because i'm stepping on your toes that's not me that's the holy spirit yo listen second (laughs) while you're waiting on your boaz make sure you don't hang out with his cousin broke ass (laughs) lying ass cheap ass only looking for one thing as, still living in his mama's basement as. Wait patiently on the Lord and when you're ready, he will provide. Actually, don't get yourself a Boaz, get yourself a Naomi. A friend who will walk with you and say, stay away from his broke ass, okay? Yeah, that's who you got now. <laughs> yeah. Get yourself a Naomi. Wouldn't it be nice to have a friend who would actually walk with you step for step? Who would actually give you direction and not distraction? (laughs) As I wrap up in the five minutes I had, I want to address the elephant in the room. Why do we have a swing here? (laughs) I mean, right? Why, why? 
Oh, so as I was thinking about it, it reminded me like when I was a kid, you know, man, I loved going to the playground and getting on the swing. And my mom and dad, you know, they would push me. I didn't, when I was younger, I didn't, needed help. I needed help. I needed a push. And I loved it. My kids now came full circle, and my kids were like, they, they still, to this day, all right, they're 12 and, and 8, and they love going to the park. They love first thing, jumping on the swing, right? They love it. You know, and at first, you know, you need a little help. You need a little push on your own. And then as you get older, right, you can do it on your own. And it's like, you know, it's kind of sad as a parent, but it's kind of empowering. Like, oh, my kids know how to swing now, you know. And even me, like, man, I would, like, learn how to swing, and I'd get going. And, like, I love swinging. And, like, what, one of the things for me was, like, if I go high enough, will I actually go back around? You know, like, could I make that happen, right? Or, or like, how high can I get and then, like, jump off at its highest point. At what point do I break my leg if I jump, right? And, and like, and so I love, and, you know, and what happens, right? You start to get going, and you're going, and you, you love that feeling going through the air, right? And you're enjoying it, and it's just as soon as you get used to it and you love swinging, you stop. And life happens. And, and something that actually used to bring you joy. Now you're afraid of. And we stop swinging and we stop dreaming. Because ugly stuff happens. And tragic stuff happens. And we lose our joy. Some of you are in this place right now. And God is inviting you back to the swing. He's saying, come back right here. Cling to me. Hold on to me again. Trust me again. I know it was painful. I know it hurts, but come back here. And just like when we were kids, right? We have to look back to our mom and dad and our daddy in heaven and say, can you help me? Can you give me a push? I need a little help. And it's slow at first. It's slow at first, nice and easy. And it starts to pick up again. And that stuff, that weight, that junk from your past starts to, starts to fall off. And you start to feel that excitement again. And when people said you couldn't do it, and people said, you'll never get back into ministry. And people said, why would they ever hire a drug addict? And then people said, no, there's no way. This is what happens when hope step backs into your life, when redemption feels like flying through the air again, when Jesus says, I'm not done with you. Don't you ever give up on me. This is what hope feels like, what redemption feels like. It's time for us to get back on the swing. Stand to your feet. We're praying. I'm getting out of here before they kick me off the stage. Listen, here's the deal. Every single one of us in this room has to take a step out in faith. We are called to action. Faith without works is dead. We have to step out. I don't know what your step out is. 
Maybe it's stepping forward for prayer tonight. Maybe it's breakfast bars. Maybe it's just saying, hey, I need to seriously stop one cheek in it and go all in for Jesus. And for some of you that may be baptism, tonight's your night. Let's do this, all right? So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for second chances. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for the hope that is found in only you, our Redeemer. Jesus, thank you for how much you love us in spite of us. Jesus, thank you for this moment for all of us. Let this be a moment when we drive a stake in the ground and says, I'm going out of my way to step out with you and stepping into a new season of life with you. Jesus, we love you. We need you. Let everything we do give you glory, bring about life transformation for your kingdom, for all eternity. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a great week, y'all. It's time for you, some of y'all, to step up. So let's do it. Have a great week.